Pastor Lee ministered a word sometime back, and he said he was influenced by a book called The, the Gentle and Lowly Christ. And Joey, uh, he, he downloaded that on the audio, and he started listening to it. And I don't know how far he made it into the book, but he was so insistent that we all, the whole family, had to download that book. And so I downloaded it, and I began to listen to it. And I don't know, maybe after 10 chapters or four or five, I don't, I don't know what it was. I, the first day I'd listen to it, I don't normally in the office, but this week I've been out traveling, so I was able to get the little earbuds on and listen to it as, I, as I'm driving down the road. And it, it, it so influenced me that I began to wake up. Now, I'm a pretty sound sleeper. I work pretty hard, and I, I sleep pretty good outside the CPAP, the chin strap, the mouthpiece, the knee brace, the, the stuff. <laughs> but, uh, but anyhow, I, I sleep pretty solid. And but I begin to I would wake up five or six times a night. I would just wake up and just just begin to worship the Lord and just begin to say, Lord, I love you and I praise you and I exalt you. I thank you, Jesus. It was it was the most awesome, strangest thing I think I'd ever experienced. Just wake up and and I don't know if you've ever gotten you know in life we get different revelations of Christ as we go in our walk with God. And I somehow this book brought out the scriptures in a way that gave me this revelation of him that I had really never quite comprehended before. And uh, so I, I, I'm not going to preach that today just because I, I guess I just feel like it's not in me enough to be able to, sometimes it's hard to take it from what's being ministered to you and bringing it out in a different way. So, but let me just read the passage. It's just one passage of Scripture. It's not the message this morning, but in Matthew chapter 11 and, and uh, verse 27, which is where this whole book is taken from. And if you get a chance to study that, if you get a chance to download the book and to listen to it or read it, uh, you will be blessed. It will hopefully minister to you as it did to me. Um, verse 27 of the text is going to be Ephesians 3 1, but I just want to read from Matthew chapter 11 verse 27 all things are delivered unto me of my father and no man knoweth the son but the father neither knoweth any man the father save the son and he to whom whomsoever the son will reveal him come unto me all ye that are labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest here's the, verse 29 really is the key verse to the book take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, confession, I am really not a big book reader. I have to force myself to read. I guess I'm just too hyper to want to sit down long enough to read for very long. I get a little sleepy. But I love the audio stuff. Isn't this technology awesome? You can just put those audio books in, and you can just listen to them. Amen. Years ago, we, we got a, in, in a church, we got this New Testament in cassettes, and it was called uh, Faith Cometh by Hearing, and got the whole church to buy these little New Testament cassettes, and they would put them in, and they would listen while they read. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but read and listen at the same time, and it's, it's really powerful. You just, I don't know, for me, you begin to remember it better as you get to hear it and read it at the same time. But anyhow, the message of this lowly Christ, and I just began to seek the Lord, and I just felt like God gave me this message this morning, and uh, years ago, I had gone through a book on mercy, called The Mercy Studies and about the mercy of Christ. And uh, God reminded me of that. And this, this is where I'm taking this message today. And I, it's a message called the, His Deepest Heart. And I think that's what moved me as I listened to this. As I, I didn't really understand the Lord's deepest heart. 
you know, for whatever reason, and, you know, all of us have our different thinking and different things we've been through and the way we relate in life and understanding the Father and Jesus. And so anyhow, I want to talk about mercy. So mercy in the Hebrew word for mercy, I'm not, this is from the book. This is not my great intelligence on Hebrew. I, I took uh, Greek in uh, Bible college for two weeks and you're allowed to drop out after two weeks. And after two weeks, I was failing the class, so I dropped out. You had to memorize 20 Greek words a day and their definitions and write them out in the class. So people that know Greek and Hebrew, they are very smart, just to let you know. And so anyhow, the word hesed is used like 250 times in the Old Testament. And it's the word that's translated mercy. And it's actually translated three different words. It's translated kindness, loving kindness, and mercy. I think it's used, I don't know, a hundred times in Psalms or more. So when you read the Psalms and it says his loving kindness, his kindness, his mercy, it's the same word. It's hesed, and, and, it, and it means pretty much the same thing. They kind of use it as different words to apply it in different ways. But it's the same word for, for, for mercy, for hesed. Just a couple of quick examples. You don't have to turn there. You can write it down. Psalm 25:10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy, hesed, and truth and such as keep his covenant and testimonies. Psalm 17, 7. Show thy marvelous loving kindness. Hesed. O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Psalm 31, 21. Blessed are the Lord, for he hath shown me his marvelous hesed, kindness, in a strong city. Without the word in the Bible, mercy or loving kindness, there... There really is, there is no word from God to man. There's no Bible, there's no Savior, there's no kingdom, and there's no eternity without hesed, without mercy, without kindness, without loving kindness. And so, the, I don't believe we can kind of separate the compassion, it kind of all goes hand in hand, kindness, compassion, mercy. I always like to say, he's so good. Somehow in life, Satan always wants to draw a picture that God is not good. That when bad things happen to us, when people die around us that we love, when we suffer, that he's not good. And I guess today I just I pray that God can help me bring out his deepest heart. That he is kind. He is kindness. He is loving kindness. He is mercy. He is hesed. You know, I, I'm no Hebraic. I'm not in the Hebrew stuff. But, I, but the same word over and over in kindness, loving. Sometimes it's hard to express who he is i'll talk about it more it's not what he does it's not him showing mercy it is who he is he is kindness he is mercy rex andrews the writer the author of the mercy studies he defines mercy as this mercy is god's supply system for every need everywhere mercy is that kindness compassion and tenderness which is a passion to suffer with or participate in Another's ills or evils in order to relieve, heal, and restore. It accepts another freely and greatly as he is and supplies the needed good of life to build up and to bring to peace and to keep in peace. It is to take another into one's heart just as he is and cherish and nourish him there. Mercy takes another's sins and evils and faults as its own and frees the other by bearing them to God. That's a whole different message, but that's also a great message on us. I used to like to, it's not maybe really a word, but about us mercying others. 
about us showing kindness and loving kindness, about us mercying, mercying others. But here it's about God mercying us. I know that's not a word, but I like to use it. Who is this God of mercy? Some may say, isn't he a God of wrath, a God of justice, a God of holiness? And yes, he's all those things. But his heart, listen to me, his heart is a heart of mercy. That's what struck me. His heart is a heart of kindness. His heart, you know, his heart is a heart of loving kindness. I don't know if we can, if I can somehow express what this has done for me. I pray you, I pray you can today. But I want to find the deepest, look at the deepest expression of God's heart of mercy found in his word today. And maybe just a couple of them. But Ephesians 2, 1. I should be there by now. It says, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. This is my key verse here. But God, I always like that, but God who is rich, nothing like, we, nothing like we know, nothing like we understand, altogether different than what we understand. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. But God, who is rich in mercy. Interesting. The only time in scripture that God is described as rich. I think that's interesting, isn't it? The only, and it's about his mercy. It's, he's rich in mercy. See, I, I just think this expresses his heart. You know, yes, he shows wrath. Yes, he's just. Yes, he's holy. But his heart is a heart of mercy. Isn't it? Doesn't that just, just make you want to? I, I wish I could on the outside could express what I feel on the inside. You know, I, I can't do backflips anymore. It probably hurt my foot and my back and my neck, you know. But I don't think I ever did backflips, but a couple maybe. It means the Christian life is not that of shedding wrong thoughts. It's about God. All You know, it's our life's about shedding all these wrong thoughts about God. But he is so good. He is rich in goodness. He is rich in kindness. He is rich in loving kindness. He is rich in mercy. I don't know. He's overflowing. He is rich into all. He is infinitely overflowing in kindness and mercy and hesed. He is good to he is good to abundance. He is ridiculously kind. I don't know. I try to, it, sometimes you got to say all these words to get it in our heart that what he is. I don't know. Everything around you, people go, well, why would God do this? Why would God? No, God is good. He is kind. He is merciful. That is his heart. Why do you think he just didn't wipe out the children of Israel all those years? Because he was merciful. He wanted to bring them to repentance. He could have wiped out the whole world, but he didn't because he's merciful. And that is his heart. He is obsessed with mercying us. <laughs> that is his heart. I heard one, one preacher, somebody say one time that was the scripture they were reading about his wrath. And he said that the implication is that he has to work it up. You ever felt that about your children? You know, so I hate, I always hate mom. Mom, come home. Mom said, you got to whip that boy. 
you got to whip that girl. I'm like, oh, I just got home. I haven't been with him all. She's been with him all day, you know. She's like, you got to spank him. I'm like, I just want to play with him. I don't want to spank him. You know, I got to take him back and I got to pull out the old belt and I got to spank them because they did something horribly rebellious and bad. You know, I don't know what it was. Maybe they said they told their sister or brother they hated them or something. I don't know. That was really bad in our family. That was mean and rebellious to ever talk like that or say I was going to kill you maybe. So I had to work it up. I had to work it up to be firm and spank them. I probably didn't do it too hard, truthfully. But I think of God like that, that, yes, yeah, sometimes he has, he has to chastise us, and he has to, dis, he has to pour out, but he has to work it up because his heart is a heart of mercy and kindness and loving kindness. Hesed, Jeremiah 31.20. Let's turn over to Jeremiah 31.20. Jeremiah 31.20. You know, no one uses pages. You don't hear them turning anymore. It's all in the little electronic stuff. 31.20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Oh, I love this, don't you? Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. Maybe some of you have some lost children. That's how you feel. Your bowels are troubled for them. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Now, in Jeremiah, it doubles the valve here. It says, will surely have mercy. I will surely. Will surely. Doubling the valve, emphasizing anytime the Bible, sometimes you have to say something, say it again, say it again. It's emphasizing it here. So he's emphasizing his mercy. He goes, I will surely show mercy. Bowels traditionally were regarded as the seat of tender and emotional sympathy, uh, emotions. The seat of tender and sympathetic emotions. From his greatest yearnings for you, he loves you. He mercies you. Sometimes there's something more than just the heart. There's a, I call it that, deep down in your gut. Whether it's pain and loss or whether it's joy and love. In this, it's that mercy, and down deep he yearns in that mercy. Micah 7, 8 says, Who is God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever. Again, that working it up. He doesn't just get mad and stay mad. When, when we first got married, well, and I, I, I got to pick on it because I don't get to preach too much and pick on the family, but... When we first got married, you know, you're young and, and, and all these, you both come from different paths, different lives, different situations. And, and, and Lowell would get upset at me, whatever happened. And she got upset and she would, she would pout. She wouldn't talk to me. And I'd chase her around the house, making her talk. And I'd just chase her around the house. You'd think that'd make it better, but it, it didn't always make it better. But, but, uh. I just I I would I wouldn't let the sun go down on my wrath. That's what I believe that scripture meant. It couldn't go down. We couldn't be angry when the sun goes down. So I chase her around. She tried to get away. It was a little apartment. You can only go somewhere. Lock herself in the bathroom. I just beat on the. Come on, we got to talk this out, you know. And so wouldn't allow her to stay. Well, well, God, he he's not like he doesn't get angry and then pout or stay angry because his heart is a heart of mercy. Amen. Be not. Be, he, God is not being rich in mercy, not becoming rich in mercy. He is 
rich in mercy. Uh, you know, we talked about behind the veil. I, I, believe, I believe that takes us behind the veil somewhat. Of our, it's the recesses of our creator. Kind of into heaven's holies of holies here. Disclosing to us a, a, the, the animated center of God's very being and nature. He is a spring of mercy. His nature, his disposition, because he shows mercy, he does it with his whole heart. This is why the Bible says he delights. He delights in mercy. Isn't it awesome, God? I don't know, for me, it just, it just made me realize I just love him more. That's why I just begin to wake up and worship him because I just, it makes me love him more. It makes me wonder, see how good he is. Sometimes you, you, you compare your life and your problems and the, and, the, and the portrayals around you as somehow connected to God, but that is not who he is. He's mercy. He delights in mercy. First Chronicles 17, 19. O Lord, for thy servant's sake and according to thine own heart, has thou done all this greatness and making known all these great things? He's a fountain of mercy. He's a billionaire in the currency of mercy. Think about that for a minute. In the withdrawals we make as we sin our way through life causes his fortune to grow greater in us. <clears throat> a little hard for me to get my head around that one. That his mercy grows greater in my failures. Maybe it helps me understand the passage of Scripture. I never could understand it. Come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy for help and time and need. You know when I need to go before the throne of grace and mercy? When I sin, when I fail. That's the time I don't feel real bold. But that's the time he says to go boldly. Why? How can we do that? Because he is hesed. He is mercy. It's who he is. He's kindness. He's loving kindness. So, how far have we fallen? You know, for us to think somehow that we can become a better me. That somehow that if I just get this thing in my life dealt with, it'll all be good. I felt that way. Still feel that way. That's a couple of things. And I'm like, God, if, you could, if I could just get this, this, and this, then I'd be walking on water. I don't know. Maybe you all don't see that way, but that's just how it's. It's like this thing continually. I fail continually. This thing haunts me. Someone once said, "An old sin is an easy sin." Let me just add, this is free, but that's why for those areas of your life that's an easy sin, you got to put up a lot of safeguards with them. You know, if I if I was an alcoholic, I would not keep beer in my fridge. I would not keep a beer in my car. That was free. Pick up an offering for the rest of the service. But anyhow, how far have we fallen? Uh, I'm picking on Joey today in Luella. Joey, in Bible college, a brother, Dave Smith, had talked about something he said that so affected him. And when he told me, it began to affect me. And, and he said that there's nothing in us that causes God to love us. Think about that for a minute. I love my wife because she loves me. Because, because of things, you know, she cares for me. I love my children because they're my children. I love you all because you're part of the church. You think about whoever you love in life, you love them because there's something in them that makes you love them. 
But in us, there's nothing in us that makes God love us. Uh, there's several, one scripture I always think of is whenever he saw us in our blood, and I, like, the implication in that passage is he like gagged, like made him gag because we we're so gross. Our sin, we're so, det- so detestable to him. Like watching those sci-fi movies. And if you're in those men, they try to make something that's always so gross and ugly. And what God makes is so beautiful, creating his image. But maybe you've had children. I remember I changed the diapers. So you're just like, you know, just, just so detestable to me. <laughs> On a farm, there was a lot of detestable stuff I had to do. And I'd be like gagging. Oh, well, I think of God when he looks, when he looks at us. We are so detestable to him in the sense of our sin. How can he possibly show us mercy? How can he possibly love us? This blows your mind even more. He became us. So here's this disgustable thing to him, and he becomes a, the, the disgustableness to him. Because his mercy for you is so great. That's the only way he can deliver you from your sins. That's the only way he can reach down and change you from detestable to glorious where you're in heavenly places with him. The only way. How far, I believe, listen, we have fallen so far. We don't even realize how far we've fallen. We think that if we just deal with these few things in our life, we're all good. No, we are still detestable. We are still gagging in our sins. But he has reached down. Only he can do it. Listen to me. Only he can do it. We cannot do it. It's in that nature of us. You know, you're, you're raised as a kid. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. And you think if you, you cannot do this, do this, do this. You know, you, as a parent, we do our best. We want to make them good. Brad was speaking to some about a quote that Evan had said, and I, I remember it. He goes, you can't, you, can't control, you can't control what comes out of your kids. You can only control what you put into them. Well, that really helped me, Evan. Brad, thank you. That helped me. Because I want to keep controlling what comes out of them. Well, listen, not, only the Holy Spirit can control what comes out of you. You can't control it. But you can control to a degree what you put in. Amen? Yet he became us. So look at this verse. Uh, let's go back over to our, I don't know. I, I have used up so much time. I haven't even made it to my first point yet, I don't think. Ephesians, let's go back. Let's go back to Ephesians here. Come on. Ephesians chapter 2. You have he quickened who were dead in trespasses. And then there's another verse that uses quickened here. Let's, let's go down. It says, uh, one of them down here. Anyhow, later on in, in, the, in the verses, it says he quickened. And he uses it several times. And if you read um, Psalm 119, it uses quickened like, I don't know, 15 times, a whole bunch. The word quickened. That word means to uh to make alive and uh i remember brother Dieter, who was a man who brought the mercy studies to me he, he would he would use that word he goes that god lives you i don't it's always stuck with me quicken doesn't seem to bring as much to me as saying he lives me he brings me to life so he lives me so i'm dead how can that be because mercy is who he is if mercy was something he simply had <clears throat> While his deepest nature was something different. So if if, say mercy wasn't his deepest nature, it was just something that he had, there would be a limit on how much mercy he could dole out. Does that make sense? There'd be a limit to his mercy. 
But if it is essentially, if he is essentially merciful, if it's who he is, for him to pour out mercy is for him to act in accordance to who he is. He is mercy. He is God. That is who he is. When God shows where he's acting in a way that is true to himself, he cannot be something that's not himself. Once again, it doesn't mean that he's only mercy, but he's perfectly just. He's perfectly holy. He's rightfully wrathful against the sin and against the sinners. But how it talks about God, however, in these attributes of moral standards, they don't reflect his deepest heart because his deepest heart is mercy. So where am I going here in a few minutes? So let's see. Let's go to... You still, you still in chapter two? Let's go back to verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love, wherewith He loved us, love's such a watered down word today, isn't it? But not with God, nothing watered about it. This passage kind of joins the rich in mercy nature of God with His great love. It's like the two are inseparable. Now he throws, he throws it away with the highest indignation here in this. So, so, so he's talking about the verse before. He says, you're corrupt by nature, children of wrath. And it's like, it's like he throws it all out the door here because he, he says, in this verse, it says, for his great love wherewith he has loved us. He's so possessed with love for his people that, that he will hear nothing to the contrary against us. The Bible says Satan is an accuser of the brethren. And God won't hear it. That's how come gossip's so evil. You listen about somebody. You, and, and you're, you know, even if you don't listen, the hearing affects your thoughts about them. It's totally a lie most of the time. It's totally exaggerated. It's such an evil. But God, he won't, he won't listen to accusation or gossip from Satan or even from you about you. Think about that one for a minute. Sometimes our greatest accusers is ourself, aren't they? I'm so terrible. I'm so worthless. I'm so bad. Condemnation. God failed again. You're worse than me. God won't even hear it from you. I believe if you could hear his voice, he'd say, shut up. Quit accusing. Because my mercy and grace can wash you and can cleanse you. Now, listen, we, should, we all should be further along today than we are with our walk with God. And God doesn't condone that, and I'm not saying that. But when we get a hold of mercy, and we realize that it's him that does the work and changes us, then change takes place. Now you see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now you know in part, but then shall you know, even as also you are known. We have a a, a little sliver of glimpse of our true state and his true state, which is mercy. Divine love. You know, I, I have so many things in my head here, but I, I, uh, I always think of accusations. You know, when I was pastoring, I was young. I started pastoring when I was 22 years old. I think about that now. I think, who would have listened to a 22-year-old preaching pastor in a church? But they did, for some reason. And, uh, but you make so many mistakes. You get crucified so much. People are so fun to work with. And... Uh, if you all know me when I was 22, I was, Josh said you probably were ADDDD, you know, whatever back then, you know. I was like way out there. And I, I, drank, I drank six cans of Dr. Pepper a day, two pots of coffee, three candy bars, 
I wasn't fat. I don't know how. But so, and then I ate Wendy's for lunch, a double half pound of a cheese, a large chocolate shake, and a large fry. And for dinner was, I, I was in sales, so I was on the road every day. And so then for dinner, I would have McDonald's, sometimes pizza, sometimes Big Mac. That's how I lived. Yeah. So, so really hyper, really, really crazy, off the wall. And so sometimes that would cause me a lot of grief well, most of the time. And so I, I would say stuff. And so I try to discipline someone's kid in church. Try that sometimes. See how that goes for you. They were wrong. They were being little brats. But it didn't go well for me. You don't tell a parent how bad their kids are or discipline them. That's not your job. It's the parent's job. So the parent will rise up and, and they aren't happy with you. Isn't that amazing? And that's the way God the Father is with us. Even if it's you that are accusing yourself, he rises up and he won't put up with it. He won't put up with it from Satan. He won't put up with it from somebody else because his heart is mercy and love. He is a kind heavenly father. He is good. He is kindness. He is loving kindness. He is mercy. He is hesed. That's who he is. He, he loves us repeatedly. Invincible love. Man's kind's Mankind's greatest need is love and mercy, and that's and God is that's who He is. Invincible love. I think those little video games you play, and it's one of the goals to become invincible. That's His love. It's invincible. He said I could go to ten. I didn't have to quit at a quarter till necessarily. The need for mercy. What is our need for mercy? The Bible says we were dead in sin. We aren't just wounded by sin. See, sometimes I think that I. You know, I've just sinned. We're not just wounded with sin, but we're dead. We are dead in sins. It's not a struggle with sin. It's not a mistake with sin. No, this sin is so comprehensive, all enveloping in our life, uncontrollable flow of our lives. Our sin is not like a, a mostly healthy man who occasionally trips. No, this sin has enveloped us. It controls us. It owns us. That's what he says here. He says, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, among whom you had your conversation, your lives in times past, and your lust of your flesh, fulfilling its desire, children of wrath. We were dead in sin. <clears throat> There's no hope for us in ourselves and our natural thing. We are dead. Dead is dead is dead, right? There's no life. So there's not a glimmer of life, not a, not a spark of life. You're dead. Why would we try to think we could fix dead? That's what the world does. They have rehabs. They try to fix dead, don't they? We're going to rehabilitate that, thing, that, that person. We're going to make them better. I grew up in, you know, in Missouri and hillbilly redneck. I should show you a picture. I got a When the wildlife was coming, I got overalls on. We're out deer hunting. I got a big full beard, long, somewhat long hair. I look like Henry, except not as big. <laughs> Anyhow. I don't know why you said that. I don't know where that was coming from. Oh, yeah. Restoring cars. So, so 
when you when you when you're poor, you, you can't go buy nice stuff, so you find junk and you make nice stuff out of it. So I would restore these old cars. I remember I got a. I was always buying some car that was broken and fixing it. My, my dad was a mechanic, and he would he would help me how to fix them. So we'd fix them. And so remember, I, I, he gave me this old 1966 Chevy pickup with a little three-speed on the column and a little straight six-cylinder in there. And I pulled the motor out. We rebuilt the motor, rebuilt the transmission. We did all body work. We painted that thing. I painted it metallic brown. It got white spoke wheels put on it. It had the old wood bed in the back of it. And we, I went and got this veneer wood. My uncle owned a sawmill, and he gave me this wood. And I planed it. I mean, I varnished it. I got I painted the stri- little stri- rails that go down between it. Took the inside, painted the inside, bought a seat cover, seat, put a new seat cover, got myself a nice stereo and an eight-track player. I was up to date, baby. Pushed the tracks. And that was Christian. I played the gospel music. You know, I'm not going to mention all the gospel people listen to. You wouldn't even know them anyhow, probably. But I restored it. But guess what? It still is an old truck. It still get caught between first and second. <clears throat> if you didn't know what you were doing, you had to get out and get yourself a, pair of tr- a screwdriver. And you had to take it out. You had to pull it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't go anywhere. You'd roll it off the road. And you'd have to straight that thing up. Because it was old. I understand old a little better now in my life. Didn't back then. That's why I like new stuff. I've worked on a lot of junk all my life, and I, 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 don't, I want something new. Well, that's what Christ wants in our life. He wants to mercy us. He wants to give us something new. Okay. I did not make it to the, 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 the second, but maybe I'll get another chance to finish, finish this off another time. I don't know. Let me just say that the second deepest expression of who is the, really the only, the greatest of all deepness of his heart of mercy is the person mercy. The person of mercy, and that's Jesus Christ. He is mercy. He's pure grace, clothed with our nature. When we look at Christ's life, we, we are seeing what rich and mercy looks like in the flesh. He is mercy. How rich in mercy talks, conducts itself towards sinners, towards sufferers. Jesus not only proved God is rich in mercy, he went to the cross, died in our place to secure that mercy. Jesus is what mercy looks like and speaks like and acts like. Over and over, you know, you see, he was either led by the Spirit, operated in obedience, or he was moved with compassion. Read it over and over again. He was moved with compassion. He looked at the crowd. He goes, we got to feed them. Look, he's been up all night. He's exhausted. But he said, oh, we got we to we heal them all and we got to feed them. He's taking a, he's probably, he's traveling somewhere and he comes across a funeral he, and, he, and he says, he, he, he said he was moved with compassion. He stopped the bread and he, and he touched it. He brought it back to life and he said, weep no more, lady. He was moved with her tears, moved with compassion. Christ is the mercy in the flesh. Mercy in the flesh. Let me go to my conclusion here so I can calm down here a little bit. Who is this God? whose deepest heart is rich in mercy, embodied in the person, his son, Jesus Christ. What does that mean to us and for us today? That we may know him greater. You know, I, I just, I, I just, it's amazing in life, you get different, rev- I just, it's been an awesome revelation for me. Not only just his mercy, but his lowliness, his gentleness, his meekness. 
that we may know him greater, love him more, run to him more often, forgive quicker and more often. Because we've been forgiven so much. How dare us hold a grudge? We didn't get to that part. How dare us not forgive? He continually mercies us, and we can't mercy someone that's did us rightfully wrong, I mean, truly wrong, and really wronged us. Run to him more often. Forgive quicker and more. Believe him for his mercy to flow through us to others. To walk in the, in the heavenly place of victory every day of our life. Or seated in heavenly places. I didn't get to that part. but To walk in the heavenly places of victory every day of our lives. To be healed and lifted by his great kindness. His loving kindness and his mercy. His hesed. It's who he is. It's his heart. His passion. His care. His motivation. What moves him? What you are to him. It's from his heart of mercy. He can't help himself. He's, he's the father, the prodigal son that looks for a son and father and runs to him. He's the Samaritan on the road when he, when, he, when, he, when he sees the man that's been wounded and beaten. He says he moved with compassion and he binds up his wounds and he cares for him. Maybe you have been rejected. Sometimes I want to preach a message on rejections. I lived a life of rejection. Maybe not as much as some, maybe more than others, but I believe it. He was rejected, the Bible says. For me, rejection is one of the hardest things. Maybe some people don't have any problems with it much, but they all do. No, everyone wants to be accepted and apart, and he was rejected. So he mercies you in your rejection. He was done wrong. He was crucified by his own people, his own family. And yet, his heart is a heart of mercy.